When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now, driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. I saw cables and then I turned around or moved my head and then I saw the cam, but I was a little bit too late. It was quite quick. Well, that was South African fast bowler Unric Norkia talking about the terrifying moment that Spider Cam attacked him on the outfield at the MCG yesterday. Uh, I'm Menes, and uh, Paul, I think it's appropriate that we start this podcast with a, a full throated apology um, from you to me. <laughs> G'day, Menace. G'day, everybody. I think it's like you've been a bit boy who cried wolf because you've been so uh, irrationally hating of Spider-Cam for all this time. I just assumed that you were being a bit delusional again. But having seen the actual footage, I do now agree with you. Um, I don't think an apology is necessary, but I do think that uh, they do need to make sure that that never happens again because it could really have been quite dangerous. I think they need to say uh, you can't move it at any speed that is um, dangerous if it's anything lower than, you know, two and a half metres. So you've got to keep it well clear of the players and keep them safe. Yeah, but but what the listeners didn't hear is on on the you know the tapes the tape bit of tape we threw away. You were like, "Oh, manners, you don't know what a good story is anymore." And, and since then, there's been like articles, social posts. Everyone's talking about Spider Camp. I mean, this is it's it's a harrowing incident. Yeah, because you began the. You sprang it upon me as a surprise that you were going to begin the show with that yesterday. Okay. Something you studied, that you started the show with Spider-Cam. I thought, wait a minute, didn't David want to score a double century? That is still a bigger story. I can promise you that. 
Okay, they're on par. But look, uh, look, I think that's as close to an apology as I'm going to get out of you, so I'll take it. Um, but just as a follow-up, Dan Bredig is reporting that the operator who accidentally piloted Fox Cricket spider cam um, has been stood down for the rest of the test match. So um, I think some of the players will be feeling a lot safer with old um, loose fingers uh, on the spider cam, not there anymore. Well, they, that's correct. They should have been stood down, and I, I think it should in all seriousness, that there needs to be a, a bit of an investigation into how it happened, what's the training, what's the protocols, you know, all this sort of boring modern HR things. But we have these things for a reason. A lot fewer people get hurt these days in the workplace because we take things more seriously. And uh, that could have been quite nasty. If it had, if it had hit him square on, um, it could have really hurt him. Uh, so there shouldn't have been a situation where that could have occurred and it needs to be investigated. It sounds like it is being. So um, before we get into our wrap-up of Day 3 from Boxing Day, this episode of Cricket Unfiltered is brought to you by NordVPN. It's a perfect time to sign up for a VPN. If you're traveling on holiday and you want to keep up with your favorite shows, um, you can, you can switch on Nord VPN and you can, you can, um, get around all their geo blocking. The other thing is, um, you know, you can also protect yourself from cybercrime. You can protect up to six devices, um, if you sign up to Nord VPN. So it's definitely the way to go, especially at the moment where cybercrime is, it's really important to protect yourself. We've had a couple of listeners uh, get in touch with me who have signed up for it. One of them um, was a keen, uh, wanted to watch the India-Bangladesh test series, which wasn't being shown at all on Australian TV. And using the NordVPN, he was successfully able to watch what turned out to be quite a, a thrilling test match in the end. So it's great for watching live sport from around the world, especially if the place you're at isn't um, able to have any domestic broadcasting of it. So our partnership with NordVPN has, has gone really well and the link to sign up is in the show notes. If you are going to sign up, please use that link. It's nordvpn.com forward slash cricket unfiltered and you get a discount off your plan and four months free. So go and uh, sign up and uh, it's the perfect time. All right, let's get into our continued wrap-up of the Boxing Day Test match, Paul. Uh, well, news started even before play with Cameron Green um, being ruled out of the SCG Test match. He has a, a fractured right index finger. He cannot bowl in the rest of the Boxing Day Test match, and on top of Stark's finger injury, the bowling attack's a bit thin. But are you Green out of the SCG? Yeah, disappointing. Um, I'm a big fan of Green's, and he has done some really good things in the last few days and would have been good to see him play in the SCG. Um, I, I'm hoping that he's going to have a massive year and that hopefully this injury is not something that, that keeps him sidelined for too long. Yeah, I've really tried to sort of think about, you know, what what they could do with replacing uh, Cameron Green. And I guess if they were to go sort of like for like, they could bring in this youngster from Western Australia, Aaron Hardy, who's a, a quick bowler as well and, and an all-rounder. Um, but I think they'll have an eye to the Indian tour and they'll be looking at this SCG test matches, um, you know, a sort of trial run for that. So they might bring in someone like a Matt Wrench or a Pete Hanscom who they're looking at taking over to India as a sort of trial run for them. So uh, I really think there's a few balls in the air with that one, depending on how they're going to structure the bowling attack. If they take three quicks and a spinner, then I don't think you need the all-rounder at six who can bowl medium fast. But if they take 
two quicks and two spinners. I think they'll want someone like Hardy who can bowl medium pace. It's funny that the Australian side, which was looking so settled, is now at the point where, I mean, given the selectors, they sometimes do things in a very strange way. They they kind of invent rules and invent um, reasons for doing things. It's quite possible that you could have four or five stabs at this uh, Sydney 11 and not actually get it right because there are quite a few different names in the mix. Aaron Hardy's got a very um, handy little record, only um, only had a brief career, uh, had quite a few not outs, but he's averaging 44 and a half um, from his 21 completed innings and he's taken uh, 41 wickets at 30.1 um, and he's currently about to turn 24. So certainly not a bad record. So I'd, um, you know, I've got no objection to him being in the side. There's talk of even Ashton Agar coming in as a sort of a, a if they're going to go for an all-rounder, Michael Nisa, Sean Abbott. And to be quite honest, all of those four names uh, wouldn't bother me if they're in the side. I've got a, a fair bit of time for all of them. Uh, so there's, there's there's that prospect. I get your point as well. Um, and again, I've, actually, I'm quite mellow about this. I'm not. I'm normally quite up in arms about selection issues, but I think whichever way they go, all the names of the players they've mentioned, normally I'm like, don't you dare put that person in. But this time around, the, all the players I've mentioned, I'm quite I'm quite calm about. Yeah, I guess. Um... I mean, I'll be more mellow about it if Australia goes on to win this Boxing Day test match and then it's a dead rubber. Uh, Yeah, because I think I'd like to see a second spinner play. Uh, If the pitch is dry and dusty like it has been, and I'm going to the SCG after this recording to see a big bash game, but it is quite dry. So I expect that they'll want to look at maybe Todd Murphy or Ashton Agar as the second spinner. It seems like Mitchell Swepson has kind of slipped down the ladder of um, that second spinner. Robert Craddock from News Corp reported recently that he doesn't think the selectors were 100% happy with what they saw out of Swepson when he played Test cricket, but I still wouldn't discount him. I wouldn't mind seeing him play on on a dust bowl there. We've seen him bowl well there or for Queensland in Shield cricket. So um, yeah, I'd like to see two spinners and then maybe bring in Aaron Hardy at six. I, I don't think Agar or Abbott are good enough to bat six or seven at test level. Uh, just on this result, I mean, you're a bit pessimistic if you're still worried about what the what the result's going to be. I haven't checked Winvis, but I imagine an Australian victory is at about 103% at the moment. I mean, <laughs> it's looking yeah, pretty uh, good, but, but say But say it rains for two days. I mean, you just never know. I mean, they've, they've gone off now for rain. Australia's already one bowler down. Maybe Stark goes down tomorrow, and then all of a sudden, you know, one of these South Africans digs in for a few hours, and it rains for a few sessions. You just never know. But – but. Uh, but I think it shows the depth of the psychological scars that you've got with regards to South Africa. <laughs> someone asked, um, someone sent me a message. Why didn't I bring up, uh, or why didn't you bring up the toss or something um, yesterday after Australia, like battered South Africa into the ground. <laughs> um, but I'm still sticking with the, the thought process was wrong. Um, oh, mate, yeah, I'm sure you're right. Had, had, he, had he won the toss and battered, we'd have already won the game. There would have been no injuries. It was a, it was a shocking Absolutely. Absolutely. Leading by about 300. <laughs> yeah, you're spot on. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really curious about what's going to happen at the SCG. And, yeah, you're right, it's a mystery. Uh, the, the one thing, I guess, is Lance Morris, the, the big quick, um, is mooted as maybe playing for Stark. But I think that is horse shit. If Josh Hazelwood is fit, he plays if Stark is injured. You do not bring Morris ahead of Josh Hazelwood just because he's got a bit more zip to him. That is a BS. 
that's the sort of stuff that they do. They invent these kind of rules that, that, that I, you've heard it all these years that, that they pick up a pick a player and think, why are you picking him? And they said, oh, because he had a, a surname starting with the, one of the last 10 letters of the alphabet. And, and so did his replace. Oh, I never knew that was a thing. But they've just, they kind of make it up as they go along. I agree with you, though. As always, you pick your best bowlers. And um, I, I would have absolutely no problem with Morris being in the side because he looks really exciting. But I, first of all, I think that you, you pick the ones that are the best. And um, I, I think that Hazelwood, if he's fit, does have to come back in. Yes. All right. Well, we agree on something, listeners. There you go. Uh, all right. Let, let's get into the day's play. It started quite curiously with a, a quick South African fight back. Travis Head was dismissed for 51 or 55 deliveries bowled by Nokia um, when the score was 395. And then then – David Warner came out to resume his innings. And I, I was sort of actually at this point uh, dreaming of, uh, you know, at least a, a triple and maybe, maybe a tilt at the Lara's record this Me afternoon. Too. Me too. And then. How did first, he go? Uh, and, well, sorry to spoil it for you, but first ball, Nokia bowls a full toss on his pads and it, he, a bit unlucky, it flicked his pad and onto the stumps and Warner was trudged off for 200 off 255 balls after the Herculean effort to pick himself up off the canvas and um, get out there again. So, um, it would have been Nor- funny, um, any American at the ground who didn't know who just turned up to, to their first day of cricket would have seen David Warner walk out to bat to get a hero's reception, miss his first ball, get hit, hit the stumps, and he walks back off to another hero's reception and, you know, signalling to all corners of the ground. I think, geez, was that was that what he's meant to do? That's that's pretty strange. <laughs> uh, so, Norky was on a hat trick then. He didn't get it. Uh, Pat Cummins was out uh, pretty soon after in the next over. So, Australia went from... Uh, three for 395 to six for 400 with still no sign of Cameron Green. Then Nathan Lyon came out and played a lovely cameo, 25 of 17 balls, um, as usual, took on the bowling, which we like. Um, and then finally uh, Cameron Green came out to bat when he was dismissed at the score, when the score was 440. Um, Do you reckon that when um, Norkia took those wickets and suddenly – I wouldn't say that South Africa were back in the game because they were miles behind. But with the injuries to Australia, with three quick wickets, it looked as though they were ready to knock them over. And if they batted really well, you could you could have foreseen a possibility of the Australians having a nasty little chase in the second innings. You reckon Elgar got around and said, listen, guys, what are we doing? You know, let's get back to our normal mediocrity. Um, I, don't, I, I don't like this... Um, this uh, challenging. Let's let's just you know let's get, make sure that we let, let Nathan Lyon get a quick um, twenty five better than a runner ball, and then let's ensure that they bat for another five hours after this. Yeah, Cummins is walking around the dressing room. Oh, Manners was right. Should have batted first. <laughs> uh. <laughs> another thing, just on that, I cannot say how much I love the DRS protocol of um, the way that they got. That was a correct decision. He definitely hit it. It was the right thing for him to be out caught. I'm just so proud of cricket that they've got it to the point where they actually get these decisions right. And that was a really tough decision. There's nothing on hotspot. I don't think Cummins thought he hit it. There wasn't much on Snicko, but he definitely did hit it. And the protocol worked a treat. And I, I just find it so exquisite. 
Yes. Uh, it, it, <laughs> I, mean, I know how much you love DRS, so I'm not surprised. Listeners are probably sort of thinking exquisite, you know, beautiful cover drives or a lovely leg glance or, a, you know, a, a Jimmy Anderson outswinger, not, you know, a brilliantly executed DRS. But, Paul, that's why we love you. Um <laughs> All right, so uh, then we saw a really gutsy effort. So Cameron Green came out with his broken finger, and ostensibly he dug in and allowed Alex Carey to peel off his maiden Test century. And and I'm such a huge Alex Carey fan. Sometimes I've you know been pushing for Josh Inglis, but I, I love Alex Carey. He's a terrific cricketer, a wonderful person, and it was so fantastic to see him bring up his first Test century. He brought it off, brought it up off 133 balls with 13 fours. He's the first Australian keeper to score a century in nine years. He's actually the first ever Australian keeper to score a Boxing Day century. Uh, and it was just a wonderful innings. Green was just hanging in there, nudging the ball around. Carey was dominating, and it was just a glorious innings. Yes, and for the uh, few listeners who are saying, what about Rod Marsh? That The century that he scored was in March in the Centenary Test match at the MCG, so not a not a Boxing Day test uh, century. Yeah, I, I was really happy for Alex Carey. Um, he's, a, he's a really good player. And, and um, it was great to see. It was an interesting innings by Cameron Green. I'm sure that the team really valued it. And I'm sure Alex Carey really valued it. And with a, a broken finger, um, you can't be critical of the way that he played. But I'm going to be. I still oh, think come he, on, mate. You know, he, he, he showed that he still could play some shots. I think he, he could have played a few more shots. Um, uh and that's a horrible thing to say because he gave great support to a very impressive. That may be the worst thing you've ever said on this podcast. He's got a broken finger on his right hand, which is his <laughs> bottom hand. Like, what, what's he going to do? He's, you know, he's probably like got um, Panadine Fort, you know, coursing through his veins. Probably barely can see the ball, and he just hung in there for his mate. Uh, one of the most courageous innings of all time, and I've had a go at him. Yeah, no, so, um, no, he just. Uh, he played well. He played well. Better, but I okay, would, I withdraw, no, let's I move on. Let's move on before you. Statement. <laughs> statement withdrawn. Accepted. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so then Alex Carey, brilliant 100. He was dismissed for 111. Caught and bowled Marco Janssen trying to pull one. And and Carey was actually annoyed. I think he wanted to cash in on his um, innings. And then Mitchell Stark came out to bat. He got to 10 not out. Um, and then he got hit by Nokia. It sort of brushed the helmet. And he you could actually hear him and see him sort of say, oh, it's time for us to bowl. And then uh, they, the physios ran out and and while that was all going on, Cummins declared. Um, so Australia finished at eight for 575, uh, plenty of runs. Warner said that the spell he faced from Nokia yesterday was the fastest he's ever faced in cricket. And I think actually the ball that Nokia got Warner out today was a little bit better than just the sort of a leg stump full toss. I think it did tail away. Uh, it sort of uh, was a bit of an outswinger to the left-hander and was actually a fairly decent ball. So I, I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, um, already Stark's got a busted finger. And if, if Norkia's bowling like that, with the lead they had, yeah, get him out of there. Yeah. So Australia declared with a massive lead and uh... – the play was called off early with the rain coming in, but not in time to save South Africa's skipper Dean Elgar, who was dismissed for a duck in the second over, um, caught behind off the bowling of Pat Cummins. He feathered one down the leg side and he was just dismissed for zero off three deliveries. So South Africa were one for 15. The rain kind of saved them because they could have lost a few. Um 
great bowling by Cummins, but what was notable, Stark was bowling, but uh, you could see like blood on his shirt and on his pants. Uh, he's he's putting in a real effort here. Yeah. Um, You're going to knock him now? <laughs> he is putting in a real effort. Um, I hope that South Africa tomorrow try to bat, bat with some aggression because if they go out there and bat the way they've batted all tour and with great defensiveness, they're going to crumble. Um, if they if they go out there and, and bat with uh, judicious aggression, then you just never know. With uh, As you said before, with the, the injuries to, to Green and to Stark, potentially the Aussies could get a little bit tired and maybe they could wipe away some of the de- deficit and at least drag the game into the fifth day and you, you just never know. But um, I, I have a feeling that that's not what's going to happen. Um, and it's a bit depressing because this series, which we have been talking about as the, the landmark series of the summer, the, the thing that's going to kind of be what the international summer hinges on to some extent in terms of whether it's a success or not, well, it's, it's pretty much done and dusted. Unless there's a miracle in the next couple of days, South Africa are going to go to Sydney um, two down and quite possibly not really having competed after the West Indies really didn't compete and after England didn't compete last year. Uh, we're still, it's the Gabba test match between Australia and India in the season before that India won. That's kind of the last time we've had a competitive test match at home, unless I'm missing something. Yeah, we need to get India out here every year. Um, It'll get you know, there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, be, no, we'll be there every summer. No, they won't be here. We'll, our test team will be there every summer. Um, the, bo- <laughs> the Boxing Day test will be played in Mumbai. Um, so, look. Um, the only thing I will say is with, with the MCG pitch in Shield cricket, it's flattened out as the match has gone on. Uh, it doesn't look to be dying as it has done in the Shield, but I, I could see South Africa maybe dragging this into day five. So let's hope they do um, because I think when they get to the SCG pitch, they've got uh, Maharaj, who's a very good spinner, and Simon Harmer, who's got 800 first-class wickets. You know, they could uh, upset Australia on a turner. So you know they've got everything to play for. I'd drop Maharaj for Sydney. Um, he's bowled just innocuously, innocuously in this series. Bring in Harmer. Uh, I think he's a better bowler. He's got a better record. Um, I'd be tempted to drop Rabada as well. As as much as he's a really really fine bowler, I think he's been pretty poor in this match. And um, I, they've got um, at Sturman, who looks like he's got a pretty good record. Uh, I think they should make some changes for Sydney, South Africa. Yeah, I wouldn't drop Rabada because his strike rate's about 40. So you, you'd imagine he'd come good. Yeah, but usually when a bowler like that, I know he's a, he sometimes uh, goes in uh, sort of periods of brilliance and then periods of not such um, brilliance. But when a bowler like that is struggling, often there's a um, um, a reason for it. Like, is he is he carrying a little bit of an injury? Is there, is there something that we don't know? Yeah, I don't know, but he, his radar was way off yesterday and um, you could really tell. Um, all right, so, so uh, look, there's a few news items we teased yesterday, some pro teasers. Paul just decided to try and destroy them as well, but uh, there's a few news items we want to sort of touch on before we wrap up this uh, little uh, reflections on the Boxing Day test. The first one was, Paul, you sent out a t- tweet regarding Ricky Ponting's commentary. Um, are you just able to a, let the listeners know what you tweeted and why? I tweeted out that Ponting is so much above the other ex-players in his ability to commentate. You know, he's got genuine insight. He's genuinely interesting and it puzzles me as to why the broadcasters don't actually use him as a model 
for the other ex-players to learn from and to improve because so many of them, uh, they, they just not only uh, I, I think I write the line. Not only not only do they, do they spout cliches, but they lean into them. That's a new corporate term I've picked up. But like they're, they're talking about the cliches with great <laughs> enthusiasm, as though they've invented the cliche. Although you know they'll they'll expand onto why he really does want to score some runs today, or why Australia wants to take a wicket with great enthusiasm. Ponting um, he adds to the coverage in a way that really he did it really well. I think it was um, I think it was when Warner was coming out to bat in the in the in the in the first innings of just he just set it up really well and and enhanced the occasion and made it better. Now there are some that are that are pretty good. Like I don't mind Greg Blewett, I don't mind Simon Kadich. Um, uh, there are others that are that are fairly decent, but I think that there are too many of them um, that are boring and just really. It's almost as though they don't realise that there's a level above what they are able to offer, and. Maybe if they actually were made to sit down and listen to the way that Ponting's putting, and then play some of their own stuff back and realise you're you're just not adding anything, whereas he is. And even worse, sometimes I mean I've got a lot of messages from people that have not really enjoyed the commentary of Justin Langer, and I haven't enjoyed it either. Um, I think that it's um, it's a bit boring, it's a bit annoying, and um, I, I just don't think that. Um, you know, maybe he's got the, the makings of a good commentator, but they need some education. You just can't throw them into the commentary box and assume that because they're good players, they'll be good commentators. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. But you know from our experience together, actually sometimes a lot of those people are just thrown into the commentary boxes that, you know, producers don't give a lot of guidance, even at that top level. I mean, they give some, but um, certainly not maybe as much as, you know, people that haven't um, been into commentary boxes would think. So, um and I, I think having two broadcasts just dilutes the standard of commentary across the board. I actually haven't heard much of Ricky Ponting because I don't have Channel 7, so I haven't heard Ricky Ponting. I haven't heard Justin Langer. Um, I have enjoyed Ian Smith on um, Fox Cricket. He's been over this summer. Um, so I've enjoyed his addition, and I think it's good having not having another Aussie in there. I think he's, he's really lifted the commentary. Yeah, Ian Smith's fantastic, um, and it's just he, he he makes it interesting that he's he's more than just saying um, you know if, if someone nicks it through the slips for four, he doesn't say it doesn't matter how it, it's not how it's how many it does it, it goes in the scorebook the same way or he's not like making great play of the devil's number eighty seven oh he's got off the devil's number you know things that have been said a million times before he's actually got an interesting way of um, making. The he, he can make a boring passage of play worth listening to, and that's what the very best commentators can do. I agree with you that if there's only one broadcaster, then there wouldn't be the dilution. But I also think that sometimes that the the choices that they make are not necessarily based on who's the best. Like that, they the fact that they brought Brian Lara out again. I don't think he's a particularly good commentator. He doesn't seem especially um, overly interested in in the games that he's calling. Maybe he's improved a little bit this year, but because he's a great name and he was a great player there's this feeling, oh, we've got to get him in the box. Um, yet uh, I'd far rather um, uh, someone who had a very, very modest record who can actually commentate. Yeah, spot on. So so speaking of TV rights, there's been some news about the TV deal in the Channel 9 papers that allegedly the, the TV rights deal is going to stay very similar to the structure it is at the moment with uh, Seven and Fox to split the coverage, but – Apparently, Channel 7 is seeking the white ball internationals as well. So um, the T20s and 50-over games would be in front of a paywall. And 
Well, what for, obviously that's a good thing, isn't it, Paul? It's certainly an improvement for sure. Yeah. Um, and then they're looking at reducing the Big Bash to a 10-game season, and I, I think that's prudent, and I think that has a much bigger chance at, at being a high-rating success. Yeah, reluctantly I've come to that same conclusion as well. Um, I I don't know about you, but I almost wish that the Big Bash could actually start in January now. I, I, I'm finding it hard to keep up with at the moment, as much as I – if I had no other obligations in my life, I'd happily watch it all night long. But, um, you know, with working and with watching the, the test match in between times, uh, I, I don't have the same bandwidth to watch the Big Bash as I, as I would like to have. Whereas maybe once the international test summer is over, there'd be more of a chance of doing that. Well, maybe they can do a bit more of that if it's a 10-game season. And I think that's why they have to do it. And, you know, for those that are listening, you know, you can go back in the tape. Paul and I, we were real supporters of expanding to a 14-game season because we wanted a full home and away season. But I think one thing I didn't take into account was how quickly market forces would start to put pressure on players. And when when this last TV deal was done, you had the IPL, then you had the CPL, the PSL was kind of around the fringes and that was it in terms of t20 competitions now you, you can list them we could be five here for 10 minutes listing them and so i think the 10 game uh, bbl solves a lot of problems problems scheduling is one of them but also getting star players for the whole tournament is the other yeah i agree i think that that, that is true um and uh, i was a massive proponent of going to uh, the home and away season because I, I, I gave the competition a bit more integrity, I thought, but reluctantly, I think I was wrong. And I, I'm okay with if, if Foxtel and Seven keep it. It's I, I do wish that they could get it such that Channel Seven end up having a Big Bash game on every night, seven or seven thirty. And if the Foxtel exclusive ones could be limited to, you know, a couple of four pm games on the weekend. And that, that's what gives them their, um, uh, you know, their extra incentive for people to subscribe. That's possibly naive, but I, I just wish that they could. I hate it when there's a night that it's not on Channel 7. Mm. Well, um, I mean, interestingly, Channel 7 didn't want the Big Bash, so who knows what's going to happen with that. Uh, there, There is also reports that Channel 7 will also get the ability to stream on 7 Plus with this deal, uh, which which just opens it up, I guess, digitally to people that who don't have a KO subscription. Um, so, uh, you know, that's an important little detail but could make a difference. Yes, um, I think that's a good point because it is um, – I actually wanted to check something that Channel 7 had said the other day and I went to – and I realised, oh, they don't, they don't have the digital rights. And so if you didn't have KO, it, it's, a bit, it's a bit weird that you, um, you suddenly feel like you're, you're, you're in the distant past where it's the television only and you can't watch it on, on streaming devices. The other thing that's interesting is could it be that the legal action from Channel 7 has actually worked in their favour because part of the whole deal is that if they get this new deal, they'll call the legal action off. It's kind of like a um, – it's a pretty significant intangible that you can you can I'll throw in I'll, I'll stop I'll stop pursuing you in court. Yeah, exactly. You can save those millions on lawyer fees. Yeah. Um, so so that's how the the deal's looking like it'll, it'll land if reports are to be believed. Um, I have a couple of things. Obviously, the Channel Ten Paramount offer of around one point five billion has been rejected. I'm kind of disappointed because I, I think someone in Australia has to take the leap as a big sport and go with Ten and Paramount. They have bags of cash. 
I just think someone has to do it, but doesn't look like cricket's going to be. Uh, that's disappointing. But I guess one thing you and I know, Paul, is that a lot of the time pe- people get confused and people for a long time in this TV deal couldn't get used to the fact that the cricket had moved from nine to seven. took a couple of years for people to get used to that. So if it does stay on the current networks, at least cricket doesn't have to play that game of re-educating everyone. On Boxing Day, my brother-in-law, who's um, knowledgeable about cricket, liked cricket, was a, was a good cricketer, said to me, oh, it's, it's weird it's on Channel 7, isn't it? Like, the, people take a long time to uh, adjust unless they are, you know, hardcore cricket fans like you and me. Yeah. Um, all right. So so that's the way the TV deal's going. Now, we just have to finish this um, wrap-up off with a, a news topic that's been in the papers a couple of days ago, and... Because this podcast is lucky enough to have one of the um, experts on Don Bradman, someone that um, loves Don, follows him very closely, knows everything about him, Paul Dennett, uh, some some news came out about Bradman writing a letter to Malcolm Fraser. Yes, and this has caused quite a stir on um, social media. So in summary, the letter was written just after Malcolm Fraser won the 1975 election, which had been on the back of the uh, left-leaning Labor government headed by Gough Whitlam being dismissed by the uh, the Governor-General, and which was the biggest controversial moment in Australian political history. And then Malcolm Fraser led the centre-right Liberal Party to success. Bradman um, wrote a letter to Malcolm Fraser congratulating him enthusiastically, almost obsequiously, on his victory and then giving him a few um, pointers as to what he might be um, looking to do in the coming years from an economic point of view. Now, firstly, it kind of underlined how significant a figure Bradman was in Australian life back then. It just seems weird that an ex-cricketer could have written to the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister actually care, but Bradman Mm. was quite a a major figure. But the, the contents of his economic advice were, I think, what you would describe as uh, sort of orthodox conservative economics of the 1970s. Um, right wing, but before right wing kind of lurched to the lunar right that now sometimes exists. So it's kind of, um, but, but what this has meant is that sort of the left wing on Twitter has said, oh, we didn't realise that Don Bradman was a, uh, a right wing nut job. And then the right wing on Twitter has said, how dare you criticise Don Bradman? You're trying to cancel Don Bradman, don't you dare? Then, you know, and it's become part of the, the culture wars, which is all a little bit depressing. Um, from my take on it, um, always I say, number one, I'm most interested by a long way in Bradman, the actual batsman. And that uh, I did a TikTok about this. If you're interested, go to paul.dennett on TikTok. But the stories of Bradman's career are amazing. And I think it's kind of sad that even ardent cricket fans don't actually know many of the stories. Now, men, as you know more about cricket than almost anyone I've, I've ever met, but I would imagine that aside from, you know, uh, Bradman's triple century in 1930s, last ball, dark body line, and, and one or two other things. You probably don't know a whole lot of the specifics of his career, do you? No. I, like, I read a couple of books, but no, certainly I haven't committed a lot of it to memory. And I think that's um, one of the things that's a little bit um, sad because some of the stories are just incredible. And it's the sort of it's living history of the 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, and you read about it in the, in the papers of the time, and it's stories that are worth you know, worth being told. That's what I'm interested in mostly about Bradman rather than this kind of endless debate of what type of a guy was he. And I think that 
in his lifetime, he was so powerful that no one criticised him, which was ridiculous. So he, he had sort of um, been elevated to this level of sainthood. Um, and then when he died, everyone came out of the woodworks and criticised him. And now his personal reputation has gone fully the other way, that most people seem to think, oh, he's a horrible bloke. And there's talk of him being you know, nasty and horrible in all these ways. And I think that the truth is probably somewhere um, closer to the middle. And I think he was, I don't think he was a horrible guy. Um, I certainly don't think he was a perfect guy by any stretch of the imagination. Probably not a great guy to have a beer with. Um, um, but also, I think he'd be an interesting guy to have a debate with. He'd be uh, intelligent. And um, I think he was a bit socially awkward. And some of the things that he did were reflective of that. But I've also read the people that he was allegedly in massive feuds with and their descriptions of him, like Jack Singleton and Bill O'Reilly. You'll hear the average person say, oh, Bradman hated Catholics and he was sectarian and all this. And, you know, there was a huge feud between them. I think it was more sophisticated than that. I think that neither of them liked him because they just had nothing in common with him. But they didn't hate him, as far as I can tell. And I don't think there was the, the level of re- religious bigotry that is ascribed to him. I could be wrong. But I've read Singleton's book on Bradman, and he has, um, he's written a couple of books, one of them where he described Bradman's character in great detail for two chapters. And he gives a lot of praise, a lot of criticism, but a lot of praise, and a lot of times where he and Bradman got on well and a lot of times when they did it. So I think it's a bit more nuanced than um, maybe the, the common impression. So I, I just think that um, Bradman's letter indicated that he was, I think it was an earnestly held opinion that was quite conservative. It doesn't mean that he'd be on Sky News cheering on Sky News after dark now, because I think that the political conservatism conservatism of 1975 is very different to where uh, political conservatism has um, ended up today. I disagree with the economic um, theories espoused in his letter, given what little I know of economics. It seemed a bit crazy to me, but I think it was earnestly held. I don't think he was a monster. I don't think he was a saint, but I do think that he was the best batter of all time and that he's the stories of his actual batting are fantastic and, and should be told. Yeah, I mean, perfect summary. But, I mean, I just think the, the cultural aspect of it's lunacy, the fact that people would get up in arms about Don Bradman writing a letter to our Prime Minister. I mean, they were carrying on like he wrote letters to Adolf Hitler or something and was joining the Nazi Party. It was just, I don't get it. Like, okay, maybe he was conservative. So what? I mean, a lot of people in his time were. Um, so I just found it all a little bit distasteful, I think, is how I feel about it. Yeah, I think his conservatism's, conservatism was kind of like Robert Menzies' conservatism that is not, um, you know, I, I wouldn't agree with it, but I can see how you would have that point of view rather than the conservatism of, um, you know, Fox News, where it seems to have gone bonkers. Yeah, well, we won't let them get away with it here. The culture wars are not going to get to Don Bradman. Not going to freaking happen. <laughs> All right, Paul, uh, I think we should wrap the, this up. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening um, to Cricket Unfiltered. Subscribe, rate the show. You can follow me on Twitter, Twitter at A-Menners, A-M-E-N-N-E-R-S. Paul, where can they find you? Uh, get me on TikTok at paul.dennett. That's D-E-N-N-E-T-T couple of episodes ago i asked for some um i noticed that almost everyone on my feed is 18 to 24 which is great that is tiktok but i was um keen for a few people from a slightly older vintage to to join up and um support me and i have had a few which has been great so if you've never got on tiktok before log on and join and comment on one of my um tiktoks and also look up uh cricket unfiltered on tiktok as well we're starting to be active on that again too 
All right. Well, that's it from the Boxing Day test. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.